Y'all can be seated. Thank you, man. There was a lot of good words in that song, wasn't there? A lot of good words to remind us of our hope in Christ and how He can transform and resurrect our lives. And we certainly need to always be reminded of that and celebrate. So I'm glad y'all are here. Thank you for being here today. As you notice, we put in a few more rows, and I know it's a little awkward trying to keep distance and all that, but we're just want to try to get keep getting people in here, and we're glad you're coming. We appreciate that. I know it's risky, but it's worth it, isn't it? Don't y'all think? I think so. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. Good. Well, our our missions pastor Mike was talking about uh, Casas Por Cristo, who we support and have been working with for over 20 years, and so it reminded me of a, a story a few years back. Um, we before they started going to Guatemala, they used to be. Um, in Juarez, Mexico, right uh, across the border from El Paso, Texas. So for several years, I would take college-age kids and uh, maybe single adults. We would go on trips uh, on Memorial Day weekend um, to Casas, and we would drive from Atlanta all the way to El Paso. And that took us two days, but you know, it was road trip. It's a lot of fun. So we, I remember one particular year. Uh, we were in three vans fulls of people going all the way. So we would drive to Atlanta to Dallas the first day and then from Dallas to El Paso the next day. But I think it was the second day we were driving from Dallas to El Paso. And I think it's on I-10. And man, there is nothing out there. And you look in your rearview mirror and everybody in your van's asleep, not helping you stay awake at all. And I want to say it was like 2005, 2006. And we had cell phones. I had my flip phone back then. And... Uh, but you couldn't, you couldn't get real good reception, especially way out there in the middle. So we had walkie-talkies that we were talking to all three vans with. And I was talking to the other two vans, and we're like, yeah, is anybody awake in your van? Nope, everybody's asleep. And so we're going, man, you're pulling hairs out of your arm trying to stay awake. And, you know, had a Red Bull on the last stop or whatever. But anyway, we, we came up with this idea. It goes, hey, it's been, it's been about 10 or 12 years since the Braves won the World Series. Let's try to name the starting lineup from the 95 World Series team, okay? So we start this conversation back and forth in our three vans on these walkie-talkies. And so we're talking, and invariably, we start naming a couple. Like, oh, of course, Chipper was at, uh, was at third base. And then, now, who was the shortstops? It was Jeff Blauser. Yeah, but Jeff Blauser got hurt that year, remember? It was Rafael Bellier. So we go, well, where do we get him from? And then we started to, so the conversation just kept going all over the farm, trying to figure out, name the whole line. And I think after about an hour, hour and a half on the walkie-talkies going down I-10, we finally came up with the starting lineup from the 95 team. And it was, but it was a lot of fun, but we kept going down rabbit trails. Like, now, where do we get that guy? Remember that game when he did this? All these kind of, you ever had conversations like that where you're talking about one thing, and all of a sudden you go down all these rabbit trails and people go, now what were we talking about? Or maybe you're arguing with somebody and you go, now what were we fighting about when we originally started this? So everybody understands sometimes we can go down. Now, the Braves did win the World Series in 95, one to nothing. I do remember Dave Justice hit a home run. Y'all remember that was one to nothing. Tom Glavin got the win. But anyway, just in case you're keeping, I'm kind of excited about tonight. Can y'all tell? Ready to chew my nails off again for the seventh straight game, all right? But anyway... Everybody can relate to sometimes getting into conversations or talking about an issue. And as you start expanding on that issue, you go down these different places and you get into issues that you never really intended. 
but then you hopefully bring that back. Now, if you've been with us or whether you haven't been with us in the last few weeks, we've been doing a study in the, uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and this is a, a group of people that were real in the first century that had become Jesus followers, and Paul had spent an hour, uh, an hour, an, a year and a half of his life with them, and he left to start other churches, and he hears some things are going on, and they're having these issues, and they're writing him letters about things that are going on in culture and in their church, and how do we deal with this, and so Paul's right them a letter back to deal with these. And so for about three chapters, Paul's been dealing with this issue about eating meat. And you're going, eating meat? What was the big deal? Well, there was a lot of pagan temples in this Corinth area, and they sacrificed animals. And sometimes some of that meat that was left over would end up at the meat market. And so the people in the church are going, should we eat that meat? If it's been used from a, from a pagan temple, should we eat that meat or should we just not eat that meat? And he goes, you have to ask a lot of questions and find out. And so Paul's been, for the last two or three chapters, kind of weaving in and out of this and going into other issues. And finally he's going, let's just get this straight. Not only about this issue, but about issues in general and culture and how people who are Jesus followers need to deal with those things. Now Paul, in doing so, is reminding these Jesus followers that, look, your response... Your reaction, your answers to these things about culture and how you deal with them always matters. It's important, and you should always know what you believe and why you believe it. But you're always supposed to be aware of how your behavior, how your response, and how you act about these issues going on in culture are going to reflect on Jesus and how somebody's going to see Jesus or see Christianity, how you respond. So you need to think about that always. And this is what was absolutely important in, in Paul's life more than anything else. Nothing was more important than bringing people to a saving relationship in Jesus Christ. Nothing was more important to him. He was, it was always on his mind. He thought about it night and day. He, he ate, slept, and drank it. How do I get more people to understand who Jesus is? And how can I get them to understand how he can transform their lives? That was just his passion. So I want you to stop for a minute right now. What are you thinking about? You're like, what? What are you thinking about? Because some of you are not tracking with me at all. You're thinking about other things. And that's okay. I sat in church. I've been in church other places. And I'm like, oh, yeah, the guy's preaching. Now, what was he saying? <laughs> I'm with you. But I want you to think about what are you thinking about right now? Some of you are thinking about where are we going to dinner? Where are we going to lunch today? And that's legitimate. Some of you are, are, are wondering about some other things. Like, you know, man, this has been a rough year. And the stock market's been up and down. I just wonder how I'm going to do And you're thinking about your finances. And that seems pretty normal. Some of you are thinking about Game 7 tonight. You know, are we going to pull it out? You know, Some of you are thinking about, will schools go back into full, all-person? Are we going to bring everybody back to school before the end of the year? Or is it just going to be like this for the rest of the year? Some of you are trying to figure out, why can't Georgia beat Alabama? <laughs> Cannot figure that one out. Tired of that. So we got all these things going on in our mind. I'm not saying that to make anybody feel bad or condemn you because you're not tracking. But a lot of times... I'm trying to get us to see that we concern ourselves with so many things in our culture, don't we? And it takes our mind away from what Paul's saying is the most important thing, and that's trying to bring people to Christ. That is the goal of the church. That's the mission of the church, is to get people to understand who Jesus is. And not just who he is, but how we can have a relationship with him that will transform our lives and make us into the people that God always intended us to be. And that's what Paul wants us to know. So he constantly thought about it. He constantly acted on it. And he was saying, you know what, this is what Jesus did in his life and this is what I'm doing and I want you to do that too because it will help you through all these cultural issues. So we're going to look at um, chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. It's going to be on the screen for us. and Hopefully you all are looking 
along with us at home. I know there's some people who are going to be watching us later at home, and we appreciate you guys very much tuning in with us. Um, but listen to what Paul says. He says, I have the right to do anything. And that's in quotes because he's quoting something that's said in culture. And in chapter 6, he's already talked about this, but he's coming back to this. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now you see that last part I emphasize so that they may be saved. Paul's saying all these things we're doing, ultimately that's my goal. I'm trying to always craft whatever I'm doing and saying to make sure there's somebody around that might need to be saved and I don't want to distract them from that. So Paul goes back to this Corinthian saying. There was a saying that was in Corinth at that time where I had the right to do anything. There was a lot of different um, uh, pagan gods out there, and people says, I have the freedom to do whatever. And even Christians, even people who are following Jesus, goes, I'm free in Christ, so I can do whatever I want. Paul goes, yeah, you're right, but don't use that freedom and abuse it. He says, yeah, you have the right to do anything, but not everything you do is beneficial. And not everything you do is not necessarily beneficial to you, and it's not always beneficial to those that affects around you when they see you or hear you doing that. I have the right to do anything, but he says, but not everything is constructive. It has consequences to you, maybe not now, but down the line. And it may have consequences for someone who hears you saying that or sees you doing that. And you need to be aware of that because that affects how they look at God, how they look at Jesus. So Paul's very uh, trying to make sure they understand this. And then he has this statement that I really have to work on because by nature I'm a selfish person. I want things the way I want them and I look to see how it's going to affect me. And like many in that culture, they were very self-centered as well. And like many in our culture, we're very self-centered. We want everything to be about us. And Paul says, don't use your freedom to be selfish. Don't use your freedom to be self-centered and ignore the freedom of others or ignore the feelings of others or the salvation of others. Because you taking your rights, which you have, you could keep somebody from getting the salvation of Christ. And you need to be aware of that. Don't, don't take that lightly. That's a big deal. So he says this, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And that's not natural. That's not normal. It's not like I had to teach my kids how to be selfish and self-centered. You know, like Here's what you're going to do. When you get a toy, you say, mine. You got that? Mine. And you have to teach your kid that, did you? We get that naturally. It just, it just happens. And so Paul is stressing over and over again, this is counter to who we are as humans. We're all about us. But Jesus taught that it's, to live differently. He was God in the flesh. And when he came down to earth, it wasn't all about him. 
It was about others, and he taught that, and he lived that, and he calls us to do the same if we're truly going to be followers of him. And he says, Jesus said this in Matthew 6, He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things that you're worried about in life, they will be given to you as well. But when you seek my kingdom and my, uh, my righteousness first. But see, I don't always do that. I always default back to Craig's kingdom and Craig's righteousness, and I have to be reminded of that, and Paul's reminded me of that. There's a lady named Kitty Muggeridge. I don't know if you've ever heard of her. She had a husband named Malcolm Muggeridge. She was quite an uh, impressive writer for many years. Uh, he's passed away now. But she says this in a uh, devotional. She talked about this dynamic in, in being a follower of Jesus where we have these rights and our freedom, but there's also some discipline involved in those. And sometimes we think because we have this freedom that we're just allowed to do anything we want, and it doesn't have an effect on anybody else. She says this, self-fulfillment soon grows into a quest for self-indulgence with a vocabulary of, my, of I, me, mine, and self-indulgence. In turn, soon becomes unbridled. The self-indulgent pursuit of pleasure embraces tolerance of homosexuality, addiction to eroticism, addiction to drugs and alcohol, habitual divorce, vandalism and lawlessness. Thus, liberty becomes libertinism. It is a dictatorship of permissiveness which enslaves its citizens, a dictatorship whose decrees are endlessly pervaded by the media. Now, she wrote this a long time. Several years ago, and I'm thinking, but how connected is this to what's going on in our culture right now? We think we have all these freedoms, but it actually enslaves us when we really think about that. When that's our, our, our gain, it's like, it's all about me. It's all about what I want and our pursuit of that. Emily Herman, along the same line, says this, Our habitual misuse of words has led us to imagine that Christian freedom consists in the moment. And we protest against anything that would put fetters upon this liberty. True spontaneousness is the fruit of discipline. It is the artist who has mastered the technique of his art most perfectly who can best respond to the vision and inspiration of the moment. And that's true. Freedom is not just something that we just, oh, we, we just naturally get it. No, discipline has something to do with freedom. And we have to be disciplined about the freedom and how we use that. Because freedom is not free if you really think about it. So Paul shifts gears right after this telling us it's okay sometimes to make decisions with just your freedom and the things that you're dealing with. Don't, don't let people uh, manipulate you into always thinking you can't do something because you're going to uh, upset them or you're going to uh, uh, offend them. And bam, we're in an offensive culture, aren't we? Oh my gosh, don't do that because you're going to offend this. Oh, don't say that because you're going to offend And Yes, we need to think about that, but sometimes you need to say the truth in love and guess what? People are still going to get mad. And sometimes the truth needs to be said, doesn't it? And we need to understand that. So Paul shifts gears a little bit. And he says, eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Now, wait a minute, Paul. I thought you just said we need to be careful not to let people stumble. And we shouldn't eat meat sometimes because it might cause somebody to stumble. But Paul says, and then he uses this phrase, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. In quotes. Well, he's quoting a psalm from the Old Testament Chapter 24, verse 1, and a lot of Jewish people, when they sat down to eat, they would say before they ate, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Because they were acknowledging that this meal tonight, this meal today, comes from the Lord. Everything's His, but He's allowed us to have this. And so you're giving God's thanks. So eat anything, Paul, huh? Anything in the market. 
And I believe Paul's making an interesting point that we're to enjoy life and not worrying about whether somebody's going to be offended or we're going to break a rule all the time. Does anybody enjoy that? Walking around going, oh no, on eggshells, I'm going to make, oh, did I break a rule? Is somebody going to be mad? Is somebody going to be offended? And you're always worried about that. And it's, it's miserable, isn't it? And Paul says, we don't want people thinking Christianity is about all these rules. Because he says, guess what? I have been there. I thought the whole thing was about rules. I knew them backwards and forwards since a little kid. I was the best Pharisee there was. I could tell you all the rules behind the back, through the legs, everything. I knew all the rules, and I made sure everybody knew it. But inside, I was miserable. It wasn't fulfilling. And then Jesus came into my life and reminded me of something called grace. And that, you know what, Paul, you can't keep all the rules. Even though you may know them all, you never can because you're human. You're not perfect. And, I, and I, he embraced grace for the first time. So Paul is saying, you got to have grace in your life. But be aware. Be aware that you can turn people away from Christ by all this legalism. Don't be like that. So relax and enjoy what God's put on this earth for you to enjoy. Now, don't deliberately offend someone who's immature, who doesn't get it yet, but think about that. So he gives the scenario of an unbeliever inviting you to their house for a meal. Now, that's a good thing. If an unbeliever says, hey, I want you to come to my house for a meal, you know what they're saying? I trust you. I know you're a Christian, but the way you live your life as a Jesus follower is not in my face. It's not condemning of me. You've made me a friend. I want you to come to my house and eat. So he says, if he's taking steaks off the grill, don't go, oh, where did that come from? Did that come from the pagan temple down the street? Don't do that, Paul said. Don't offend your friend. They brought you some meat and said, just let it go. If it's from the pagan, it's okay. This person has invited you to your house. They trust you. They know you're a Jesus follower, and you have the opportunity to continue that relationship and maybe bring them to Christ. So that makes sense. But then he says, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of who told you and their conscience. So maybe that person goes, hey, you know, I got this from the pagan temple down the street. You know, dude, you know I'm a Christian, and I can't do that. And you may have to address it. Or if you've got somebody else there that's going to ruin the whole party, go, hey, wasn't this at the temple down the street? Yeah, you're not supposed to eat that, are you? Now, don't mess the whole party up for everybody else. But he's saying you do have to think about that stuff. But don't let it be such a, a, a thing that it turns people away from Christ. And he says, but you do need to think about other people and what they believe in their conscience. But he said, you're not judged by someone else's conscience. And so he says, if I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of something I thank God for. But in this particular instance, Paul gives his thoughts. If someone is at the dinner, another guest who happens to know that this meat was taken from something, then you need to at least address that and say, yeah, you know what? If I know that was used part of a pagan sacrifice, I really am not going to eat that. But I'm not leaving and I'm not going to not be your friend anymore. Something crazy like that. So now in reality, you would not have been wrong if you had eaten that if the unbeliever had given it to you and you didn't know and you didn't even bring that question up. He says, just relax. <clears throat> now, so Paul says we're not to, to allow our freedom to be judged by someone else's conscience. You would go crazy if you let this happen all the time. Do you have people that try to manipulate you with their belief system? Anybody know anybody like that in your family? And it's like, oh, no, here they come. And it's like, oh, they're going to say something. They're going to make us all feel guilty. Oh, you shouldn't shop at this place because blah, blah, blah. You shouldn't do this. And you're like, oh, my gosh. I had a professor in college one time, and the class was gospel versus the law. And he was talk, trying to get us to understand how there's grace, there's the law, which is important, that keeps guardrails in our life. But there's also grace, there's forgiveness to kind of hold us accountable, but also forgive us and give us hope to keep going the direction God wants to go. So he gave us this scenario, and I've never forgotten it. This is probably 25 years ago in a class. 
But he said this, he says, uh, he had a beard at the time, and he says, a couple of years ago, I had this beard, and my mother-in-law, who I didn't get along with very well anyway, he said, she was coming into town, and she'd been telling my wife how I can't believe he's a minister, and he is a teacher at a Christian college, and he has a beard. That's just so disrespectful. And they were like, what? And, you know, he didn't think that either, but we're all listening to this. Because, no, she just kept, every time she saw me, every, she said, I can't believe you have a beard. That's so disrespectful for a Christian minister to have a beard. And I'm like, what? I think Jesus had a beard. What's wrong with you? You know, you're thinking these things. So finally it came to Thanksgiving, and he was supposed to go to the airport and pick her up and bring her to the family from the airport. And he's, he's dealing with this, and he's like, should I shave my beard off? Should I shave my beard off? And he goes, no, I don't want to shave my beard off. But he finally said, he prayed about it, he thought about it, and he finally said, so I shaved my, I was all clean shaven. I went to the airport to pick her up, got her bags in the car. You know, I'm kind of going, never even said a word the whole weekend about him shaving his beard off. And that stuck with me because there's going to be some people in your life that are going to try to manipulate you and tell you what you should, because of their conscience, because of their legalist belief, that's the way you should be. Now, if it's truth, it's truth, but something like that. Is that gospel truth about ministers shouldn't have a beard? No, that's an opinion thing. So we have to think about that. And Paul's saying, be careful about that. You certainly don't want to offend a new Christian, a young Christian, an immature Christian, but be careful and don't let someone else's conscience guide your conscience. And that's important. And uh, then the, rem- uh, the reminder to make uh, this a part of our thinking. We need to be thinking in these ways all the time about cultural issues. Paul says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, regardless of what the issue is. We've been talking about this meat thing for a long time. He says, but whatever you do, do it all for what? The glory of God. Now think about that. How many times do we really say, I'm getting ready to do this and it's going to be for the glory of God? I don't do that all the time. I'm not going to watch the Braves game for the glory of God tonight because I'm probably going to throw some <laughs> if they don't win. <laughs> but we should be thinking about that. And, and, and I mean, how many of us, when we think about our driving, I'm doing this for the glory of God. That's tough, isn't it? And sometimes I've tried to, I've tried to, to, to work on that with driving, going, you know, what's the big deal? Why don't I just let this person out? Do I have to hit that horn? No, I don't really. Because you know what? I've been the idiot who's pulled out in front of people many times. So just think about that. We have to focus in and think about whatever I do, do it for the glory of God. But he says, don't cause anyone to stumble, whether they're Jews. Y'all have all those rules, whether they're Greeks. Greeks, you have a lot of gods. There's all these different things in culture of different people, and they think differently, and they have different cultures and different beliefs. You have to think about that, but don't cause them to stumble or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, he says. Why? For I am not seeking my own good, but for the good of many, so that, Paul says, they may be saved. Paul never stops thinking about that. Now, remember a minute ago, I said, stop. What are you thinking right now? Remember when I did that? How many of you are thinking right now about a friend or a family member that you know needs Jesus, and that's just burning your heart this morning? I'm I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are, but why don't we think about that more? Because I'm not. I've got in my mind, is Ian Anderson going to pitch well tonight? Where am I going to go eat lunch? And Falcons are going to lose again. I mean, what? Why not think about these people who really need Jesus and how am I going to have a relationship with them and bring them to that relationship? So Paul says, do everything you do for the glory of God. Don't cause anyone to stumble regardless of who they are. Be careful with that. Seek the good of others that they may be saved. My actions could be the difference between someone knowing Jesus and not knowing Jesus. And then he says this, and when I used to read this, I used to think, man, Paul's kind of cocky here. 
You know, you know what cocky means? Being arrogant about something? He goes, um, follow my example as I follow Jesus' example. Really, you're that good, Paul? But I don't think Paul's saying it like that. No, he's saying, only follow me when I'm following Jesus. If I'm not following Jesus and I'm doing something that's totally contrary to what Jesus would do, then don't follow me. That's like when your kids point out something. Shouldn't speed, son. Dad, you're speeding. Well, uh, that's different. No, it's not. So don't follow me, you know, when I'm doing that. And Paul's saying no. But when I am following Jesus and you're not sure about that, then follow me because I'm trying to point you to Jesus and everything. And Paul really tried to do that. So these are tough to live by, aren't they? regardless of whether the culture issues. Now, we don't really relate to the whole eating meat thing, but there's a lot of issues going on in our culture right now that we're, we're like this about. And we need to use these same principles. Am I, am I arguing about this and discussing this with somebody for the glory of God? Am I making sure I'm not causing them to stumble in what I type in my, in, in my post or whatever? Am I seeking the good of others so that they may be saved? Or am I just trying to win the argument? And we need to be careful with that. So I want us to consider one of the things right now and how we should deal with it. We're getting ready to have an election. And it's a lot of tension in that, isn't it? It's like, I don't know where y'all are on all that stuff. But here's what I do know. And how many of y'all, uh, let me just get a show of hands. How many of y'all are going to be voting for the very first time? Anybody in here voting for the very first time this year? Don't be ashamed. That's awesome, okay? And if you are voting for the very first time, you need to vote. I don't care who you vote for, but you need to vote because that is a civic duty, that is a civic responsibility, and men and women throughout the, 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 the years have fought and died so you could have that freedom. That right is not free. It is paid heavy price for people that did that. And there are people, Mike was talking about, in other countries who will never, ever probably in their lifetime get to vote on issues. They've been kept from that because of the kind of governments they have. So vote and understand there's gratitude and honors for those who gave that right to us. But as we vote and as we discuss who we're going to vote for or why we're going to vote for that person, I want you to keep in mind something very important. And I can't say it better than this. Anybody know who John Wesley was? He was an important preacher. I'm going to put something up on the screen here. Listen to what he said. Look at the date there at the bottom. October 6, 1774. I met those of our society who had votes in the ensuing election and advised them, one, to vote without fee or reward. I mean, don't take money for voting for somebody. For the person they judged most worthy. Number two, to speak no evil of the person they voted against. we got to work on that one. And number three, to take care their spirits were not sharpened against those that voted on the other side. we got to work on that one, don't we? But think about that. In 1774, I don't even know what was going on then. That was the beginning of our country, right? Very close. And John Wesley says something that the, the culture was dealing with then. So again, and I'm going to tell you right now, don't be mad at me if I write in Freddie Freeman for president, okay? Don't be mad. Don't be talking bad about me, sharpening your spirit against me or whatever, all right? But regardless of who wins, guess what? That's going to be our leader, and we shouldn't talk bad about them for the next four years. It's okay to say, I disagree with him or her about this issue, and this is why. That's okay, but when you get on Facebook or you get on whatever, and all you do is just all the time it consumes you, man, that ain't good for you or your blood pressure, and it's certainly not bringing someone to know Christ, is it? It's certainly not. So I'm just, I'm just encouraging y'all to be careful with that. But I, I want to encourage you to vote and know. And what we should do is, and it's your conscience. Your conscience, not my conscience. Paul's saying that. 
You have a different conscience. But what we should do is say, what candidate best lines up with the values of the Bible and Jesus? And that's hard. You're not going to check every box, are you? Nobody's going to be that perfect candidate. But you, at the end of the day, when you go in there and hit that touch screen, you need to have prayed about that and thought about that. God say, God, just help me. And I'm thankful that we have a country that had amazing early leaders who, who birthed this country and said, no one person has control over everything. We have checks and balances, and I'm very grateful for that. So just want to put that out there as we're talking about these issues. I want to close with this, and I hope this encourages you. Heather King is a... Uh, was and is a writer for NPR radio. Don't tell, oh, that's a liberal radio. Don't tell me that. Just listen to what she says. This is an amazing story, okay? She's a recovering alcoholic who came to Christ and reflected on her initial experience with getting sober and getting into the church. And she said this, My first impulse was to think, My God, I don't want to get sober, or in this case, I don't want to worship with these nutcases, because when you're in recovery, you think everybody else is crazy. No, you're crazy. That's why you're in recovery. And he says, with these, these kind of people, boring people, people with different politics than me, people whose taste in music and food and books and thoughts is different than me. And she said this, nothing shatters our egos like worshiping with people we did not handpick. And think about that for a minute. We didn't pick to worship together today, did we? Now, maybe some of you are sitting with your family, you did. But we walked in here, and we, don't, we never know who's going to be in here. But she said that. We, we don't get to handpick the people we worship with. The humiliation of discovering that we are thrown in with extremely unpromising people, people who are broken, people who are misguided, wishy-washy, out for themselves, people who are like me. But we don't come to church to be with people who are like us, she said. And the way we want them to be. We come because we have staked our souls in the fact that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And the church is the best place, the only place to be while we all struggle to figure out what that means. Isn't that great? That's what we're all trying to figure out. What does that mean? If Jesus really is the way, the truth, and the life, and I believe he is, how do I mold that into my life? And she says, we be... We come because we are hard-pressed to say which is the bigger of the two scandals of God, that he loves me or that he loves everybody. Think about that for a minute. The scandal of God, that he loves me, is it bigger that he loves me or that he loves everybody? And God does, whether we can fathom. Can you, can you fathom that? How does God love everybody? Because you know my, you know, how does he love everybody? But he does, doesn't he? God knows all my junk and he still loves me. That's amazing when you think about it. So this morning, we're going to offer an invitation. Maybe somebody here today has never heard that, that God loves you anyway, in spite of all those other things. And he doesn't expect you to have it all figured out. Yeah, I believe he's the way, the truth, and life. And if you're willing to acknowledge that and move forward, he says, I know you're not going to get it all at the beginning, but it, if you're willing to surrender to Jesus and say, I'm tired of... It being about my kingdom and my life. I want it to be about God's kingdom and his righteousness. If you have that decision today, we want to walk you through that. And we're going to offer an invitation. Kevin's going to sing a song. We're going to stand together in a minute and sing that. And as we do, I want you to reflect on, on what you've heard today. And if you have a decision, I'll try to walk you through that today. You're looking for a church home, I'll try to walk you through that today. But otherwise, just reflect right there today. 